Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Um, As we continue in our Armor of God sermon series, our scripture for today comes from um, Paul's letter called Ephesians chapter 6. This is verses 10 through 14. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, and in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand evil on that day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us say, thanks be to God. There. The, uh, we're doing this sermon series, obviously, because people um, approach me all the time for fashion advice, as you can see. Uh, fashion choices here. No, I want you today, as we're going through the full armor of God, of, of how we can be in the world and how we can be uh, really fully present with, uh, for Christ in the world, um, as we look at the breastplate of righteousness, I want you to think through some movie stereotypes with me. Um, the first is this movie stereotype where, let's just say it's a mom, and a mom of three kids, perhaps, and the, and the scene opens, and there is a woman who has clothes sprawled out on the bed with suitcases ready for the trip that they're coming to take. There's a suitcase that is Monday through Wednesday for that part of the trip, and then there's a suitcase for Thursday through Saturday for those different activities. And every single child, husband, and herself has a stack of clothes that is meticulously laid out with the socks, the pants, the underwear, the shirt, whatever is needed for that specific day, and then they are vacuum-sealed and labeled with the name and the activity and the date for perfect organization so that there is no stress on the trip. What do we call that person? That's heaven is what I— so this is the thing. When we're going through these, the type A people are going to be like jazzed out thinking, what's wrong with that? But when you watch the movie, does that woman ever turn out to be like the cool person? They're neurotic which I was just on a Sunday school class on Zoom, and someone was like, you were describing me, and then you called me neurotic afterward. And I said, well, if the shoe fits, right? Um, Because the other character is the guy, right? It's the the guy you open up, it's in the hotel room, and he's got this big job promotion interview, and he had to fly to the interview. So he's in the hotel, and and the night before, he's meticulously ironing his pants and his shirt, and he's laying out his tie, and, and on the extra double bed, he's got the entire suit laid out just like he would wear it, the next day for maximum efficiency, getting up, doing his routine, brushing his teeth, and and being able to just slip on the the suit for the promotion. What do we call that guy? Right? Again, the type A person saying prepared, right? That guy is not the guy hanging out at the hotel bar the night before. The movie never presents that guy as anything but geeky, right? So we've got neurotic, we've got geeky, we've got the—this— weird dynamic in our culture that teaches 
the value of goal setting and achievement and of following a vision, these big high ideals of accomplishment, but then we also in the same culture have the values of like, eh, just let it go and hang out by the beach and relax and just take what it comes to you and this kind of type B personality. And so somewhere in the ether of our culture, we've got this weird dynamic where we expect everybody to be totally ready and prepared and goal-oriented for everything, but also not care so much. And the two don't always seem to go well together. Let me show you, let me take you to another movie, an actual movie clip. Uh, it's from the movie Black Hawk Down. And there's going to be two groups that you're going to see in this uh, film, and I have edited it for languages because apparently the army rangers don't always talk like church choirs. Um, so uh, edit it a little bit. You're going to see two groups in there, and I want you, as you're thinking about preparedness, uh, geeky, neurotic, whatever, I want you to look at this film clip, and I want you to tell me which group you would want to roll through the streets of Somalia with. So, Jim, if you could roll this clip. I wouldn't worry about that. Generally speaking, Somalis can't shoot. Don't worry about it. Just watch out for the Sammy Sona fucking rocks and you'll be fine. Might even be fun. D-boys do their thing now. All we gotta do is cover them. Chopper's gonna cover us, and we'll be all right. Look, you guys, I know this is my first time as Chalk Leader, but uh, this isn't our first time out together. This is serious. We're Rangers. J-R-O-T-C. We're elite. Let's act like it out there. Any questions? We're gonna need that dude. We're not out there long enough. Hey, you're not gonna need that either. We're back before dark. We might as well take dope and beer instead. What? Ammo, dude. Take ammo. Tell you something, Grimes. You got about 50 pounds of gears, it is. You don't need another 12. I don't know about you, but I'm not planning on getting shot in the back running away. Well, I better keep mine in. Hey, Grimes, the most important thing, just remember when everybody else is shooting, shooting the same direction. Right. Look at this, Ruiz. He's taping his blood type to his boots. That's bad luck. No, smart. Oh, don't to do that. It's bad luck too, man. Come on, let's go. So which group are you rolling with? Right, the Eric Bana character who's strapping on grenades and they got the night vision goggles and they're strapping their blood type to their boots. That's Delta Force in this movie, which apparently theoretically doesn't exist, but they're in the movie. Uh, so you've got Delta Force that's preparing like the elite warrior trainer, you know, trained warriors that they are. The others are this elite army ranger unit, and they're, they're not even not preparing for the worst situation that could happen. They're actively telling the new guy, Grimes, not to take the night vision goggles and take the armor out of your vest even. This is the scene that really captured my imagination as I was thinking about the breastplate of righteousness. What compels somebody who is a battle-hardened elite army ranger to take out the very thing that is going to protect his vital organs. 
that's the first question we've got to ask here is, is what is the bulletproof vest protecting? Is, is the vital organs? It's the heart, it's the lungs, it's the stomach. It's protecting every organ that distributes everything else the body needs to live. The only vital organ that isn't protected is, is the brain. But in the Bible, in biblical times, the, um, they had this understanding of the body called the cardiocentric hypothesis. And the cardiocentric hypothesis basically says that the, everything that the brain does is centered in the heart. They knew that if you wound the heart, it wounds the rest of the body. So they assumed that the soul, the thought, the consciousness, everything that dictated the body's reaction uh, was centered in the heart. And so the breastplate primarily was to cover up uh, not only for blood spilling, but it was to cover up to make sure that no one could actually harm the essence of who you were. So the, the vital organs, the breastplate of righteousness covers up um, the heart, which extends to the rest of the body, and you could argue, or you could say that Paul is telling the church in Ephesus that you have to guard the heart of the church, lest something get into the heart of the church that starts spreading into the way that the church is in the world, and the way that it moves and talks and thinks and, and walks uh, to represent the person of Jesus. Now the second question, besides what's the breastplate of righteousness, or what does the bulletproof vest cover for the soldier, is um, uh, what is the danger in, in Ephesians. We talked about this a little bit last week. Jim, if you'll put up um, the first part of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, um, Paul lays it out here. It says, for our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And Jim, just go ahead and leave that up for a little while, because the spiritual forces of evil that gets brought up, most of the time when we hear that, it goes to this understanding that there is this uh, spiritual realm that we have no visibility of, but has power over the physical world. And we can be certain that every biblical author wrote with the understanding that there was the spiritual realm of un spirits that could, that could infuse its will upon the physical world. So the understanding of, if I do something bad, it's because this spirit made me do it. Or if I do something good, it's because the spirit made me do it. Or, uh, you know, what we now know as leprosy or hemophilia or schizophrenia, an unclean spirit, right? There was a pre-scientific understanding of the way that things worked as they're writing these stories out. So some of this may be things that have been explained by biology. Some of it may be, who knows, spirits. But regardless of whether you're somebody in the spiritual warfare camp or you're in the pure biology camp, the same argument holds for the armor of God and why it's necessary and what we're protecting ourselves from because what we're really wearing the armor for is the spiritual influence we can have on the world. And what our culture, or, or what culture we're a part of that can have an influence on us. Uh, Rob Bell calls it the thing in the air. It's those truths about the world that we just don't know how to name because we're part of them. And so going back to the army ranger who takes out the Kevlar or the steel from his body armor as he's about to go get shot at um, by all of these uh, Somalians that they're going to extract some people from, uh, what could possibly cause him to do something so irresponsible for somebody who has so much experience in that realm? Well, you heard him talking about the Somalians in their little chalk meeting. Right? They called them racial names. They basically say they can't shoot. We don't need to worry about them. Somebody said it might even be fun. Right? And I know a lot of people who have been in active combat. Nobody describes it as fun. Right? Their understanding is that these people are so far beneath them that they can get away with anything. 
that the Somalians are so inferior to them that they can get away from anything. And why shouldn't they feel that way? They are part of the most equipped, elite fighting force that the world has ever seen, the most dominant military that the world has ever seen. They are trained to think in a way that they are invincible. They are trained. And you have to have a certain level of bravado and ego to go into battle without being afraid like that. But then you've got Josh Hartnett's character who has the opposite spectrum of things. He's got the respect for the mission. He's got the respect of the people. He's telling people to be cautious. He's telling people to be safe. But one person's voice versus a culture, which versus a spirit of things, is hardly enough to change behavior. And so the culture in the air comes from also a people, us, who tend to talk about how exceptional we are, or at least think about how exceptional we are. And I'll give you an example. This morning, as I pulled up, I just, you know, I had some time and I was reading an article about things that are going on in Israel with the politics change. And, um, and it was just interesting because I've been to Israel and, and I remember where they take you on the tour guides, this Bethlehem, Jerusalem, the old city. And so it looks like this old Bible Times marketplace for most of the time. And I left feeling like, oh my gosh, it, these kids have probably never seen a Nintendo before. Do they even watch TV, right? That was the, what I was exposed to in my vision of Israel. But in this article, they're showing pictures of the houses in Tel Aviv and talking about the nightlife that rivals New York City and the technology and all this kind of thing. And I tell you, my first thought was amazement. It was, oh my gosh, I never thought somebody over there would have some of the same things we have. Because our experience is exceptionalism. And it infuses into every part of it. That's what's in our heart, is that we are exceptional. And so when we face other enemies or other people, we tend to think of them as less than. And it goes well beyond countries or armies or, or anything like that. It goes to our individual relationships or the individual relation, or the relationships we have from group to group, in which most of the time we are centered in the, what the Gentiles and the Jewish Christians were centered into, is our group is right and no other viewpoint matters. And we're not going to meet in the middle to find the truth. What we're going to do is we are going to live in our exceptionalism and everybody else will become inferior. Well, how do you treat somebody who you see as naturally inferior to you? You treat them as though they're inferior. You, you can't help it. It just comes out in the way that you talk to them, the way you demean them, the way that you order them around, right? When somebody is seen as inferior, you naturally treat them less than what Christ would have you treat them in, because Christ in the Sermon on the Mount even says that your enemies you should pray for and your enemies you should love, that everybody you should have the same level of Josh Hartnett respect for, no matter what the capability that you feel they have is. And so the breastplate of righteousness is something we wear to protect ourselves from ourselves. From that thing in the air, the truths that we hold that are not truths of God, but they're truths of what our culture has told us, things that we have adopted within our pattern of behavior and things that can extend out into our extremities in the way that we deal with people, the way we talk to people, the way that we love or don't love people. And righteousness, by definition, really means a pattern of being right. And in Ephesians, in chapter 1, it talks about that all things have come under Jesus' feet. So when we're talking about righteousness in this context, we're talking about doing what Jesus would do. And we can break out the old fashionable wristbands if you want a WWJD bracelet to remind yourself. Right? Righteousness is doing what Jesus would do and preparing ourselves in the way. It's putting it on intentionally so that we protect ourselves from what we would do in a difficult situation if we're not prepared for that difficult situation. I'll give you an example. There was a gentleman named Chris Folmsby. He now is like in charge of discipleship at Church of the Resurrection up with Adam Hamilton, if you've ever done one of his studies up in Kansas City. 
And Chris was leading this seminar when I was up in Kansas and told the story where he was uh, at the grocery store or at Walmart or any kind of store, and he would uh, find that the lines, you know, uh, lines were huge. Um, so they'd be 10 deep at every time, and he would get in this line, he would always find the smallest line. And even if it was one person or two people or three people, he would find himself muttering under his breath curses toward these people. He was battling impatience on the most extreme level. So even if it was one person, he would stand there behind the person just tapping his foot, muttering, I have no idea why this person is taking up my time. I have no idea why this person, and everybody's preference, like this person's just buying groceries, but that person's act of buying groceries was a personal attack against Chris. It was something in the air. It was something that he had been told or taught that his time was more valuable than other people's, and he had fully adopted this to the point where he's behind this, this, this line, and he's just muttering curses upon these people, and the dude in front of him just looks behind him, and is like, dude, chill out. We're all going to get our vegetables today. And Chris realized, oh my gosh, like, I'm a pastor at a church, and I, and like, he, he didn't remember, but he's like, I probably had, like, my church t-shirt on, and I'm sitting there muttering curses against the guy who's just doing, buying groceries for his family to take home just the same as I am. And he said something had to be done because when I got into the situation in which my spirit was failing, I had no concept of what God's spirit was supposed to be doing. So he said, my breastplate of righteousness, what I needed to put on to guard my vital organs to make sure that the right stuff went into the right extremities and out of my mouth was he started a spiritual practice in the easy time. So when he wasn't rushed, and any time really, he would go into a grocery store, he would find the longest line. So there could be three in this line, there'd be 15 in this line. He would go stand behind 15 people, and then he would pray for each one of those people. He would pray for the man with the orange shoes. He would pray for the woman with the pink blazer. He would pray specifically and ask blessings upon their day until he got up to the front. He would pray then that he was lucky enough to go to a grocery store instead of walk seven miles for a bottle of water or have to grow his own food and pray for the blessedness of the situation that he was in. And it would take him 15 to 20 minutes longer because sometimes he would get to the end of it and he realized he was still upset about the situation. So he would back up and go to the next longest line and he would wait in that line so that he could pray through his impatience all the way until he realized that he truly did love those people who were in front of him. Right? The breastplate of righteousness is preparing for the worst. Jim Ginrich has a saying that he uses in conversations all the time of hope for the best, prepare for the worst. And so much of what we extol is the people who are cool, the Fonzie-type characters, for those of you who remember Happy Days, who can just deal with things as they come, and everything kind of rolls out easily for them. But that is not how we get to the point of achieving goal-setting and righteousness and how we follow truly in the way of Christ. It takes preparation. It takes doing in the easy times what we need to do in the hard times and building our schedule and our routine around doing the things of Jesus so that when we are approached with difficult times, we can act with grace and we can build unity between the Jews and the Gentiles. We can bring holiness in the way that we treat others and we guard the world against our own pride. So Chris told this whole story about the grocery store, but he followed it up and he said, one time I was leaving the grocery store and I'd just been through my whole prayer routine and um, he got sideswiped. He got T-boned coming out of the parking lot onto the street. And it was, I mean, it was hard, really hard. So he's shaken up, he's bruised, he's a little bloody, but he's largely okay besides that. Um, the door had been jammed in, and um, so 
he's just furious that somebody would, I mean, because he's going to be late to his kid's game, he's got to deal with insurance, it's going to really inconvenience his life, and right? His, his spiritual battle is impatience. This is something he doesn't need in his ordered life. And so he rips off his seatbelt, he kicks open the door because it's been jammed, and he, get, he gets out, and Chris is a pretty big guy. So Chris comes marching on, and he is going to give this guy in the, in the car uh, a piece of his mind, and he's ready to smack him across the face if need be. And he looks at the driver's seat, and there is like a 90-year-old lady who doesn't need to be driving anymore. And so Chris takes to the back, and he realizes like he's still furious. Like he's looking at this 90-year-old lady just fuming and trying to figure out, should I just smack her across the face, right? Which is not the right thing to do. But he finally kind of like he goes into his training, right? He kind of collects himself in the shock of the old lady's face, and he, and he calls the police, and before the police gets out there, he's able to, you know, get the lady out of her car and uh, realizes pretty quickly she's in the early stages of dementia. She has no idea where she was headed to. She has no idea how she got there. Manages to get on her cell phone, call her husband, who's been looking for her because she's not supposed to drive. And as Chris reflected on this story, it was... What could have been had he reacted in his own pride and reacted in his own impatience? If he just went and yelled, if he went and just took care of his own situation, he would have missed the opportunity to react with grace and to help out a a woman who was desperately in need of someone to share Christ's love with him. Doing the hard things, scheduling, like building our routines during the easy time helps us when We recognize the evil spirits around us. When the culture consumes us, when we get into a difficult time, when relationships are broken, doing the things during peacetime helps us to be prepared for the battle that is to come. And and it's things uh, like you can do something like Chris to inconvenience yourself to practice being inconvenienced. That's actually not a terrible idea for people who like to be convenienced all the time, right? But it's other things about when you have downtime, making your schedule, building your calendar around how to practice righteousness, building your calendar to make God first, as opposed to building out your calendar and then saying, well, I'll just add God in there when it's time. Right? Or your budget. Right? Dave Ramsey talks about having a, a budget meeting, and this is like the nerdiest thing you can do, to sit down with your family, and like we tried this, and it just didn't work for us, right? To sit down and have a budget meeting, because it seems like the same thing month after month, but it's looking at your budget, and instead of saying, you know what, we're going to do all these things, and then when we have time or when we have energy or when we have resources, then we'll be generous, then we'll be empowering, then we'll look out for the needs of others, right? It says, put that first, because we put the breastplate of righteousness on to guard us, to do the right things when it gets hard. And I'll tell you, when you get to the end of your cash limit, and you have an opportunity to bless other people, there is a high likelihood that you're not going to say yes if you haven't already prepared for it. When you get to the end of your schedule and you're exhausted from kids' activities and work and school and relationships and everything, and you have an opportunity to bless somebody, there is a high chance you are not going to take it unless you have prepared that time to bless people. We may call the lady with the suitcases and the vacuum seal bags neurotic, and we may call the other guy geeky, but they are prepared. And neither of them have ever left their toothbrush at home when they needed it. There are people who wear the breastplate of righteousness really well. And they're the people I want to walk out into the world to be prepared for the difficult times when the spiritual forces of evil are at work because they have prepared themselves to exude grace and love the way that Christ tells us to. 
right? Some of the rest of us, they kind of leave it for the last minute, right? Some of the rest of us who leave it for the last minute. Well, I wonder what the world would look like if we were all prepared to share God's love at every turn. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.